You are listening to the Ridgewood Church Podcast on a sermon series that will take us through the Gospel of John, entitled, Learning Jesus. Well, there's a very famous story written by French novelist Victor Hugo called Les Mis, and I would think that most of us would be experienced uh, to some degree with that, whether you saw it on Broadway or you've seen it on the movie screen. And it's the telling of a man named Jean Valjean, who is, as we see at the outset of the story, a very troubled man. He has a pretty storied past. And we enter into the story when he's invited into the bishop's house. The bishop and his wife are kind to him. They extend grace to him and invite him in for a night's stay, and they trust him to be in their home. And he very quickly violates that trust, and he sees that they have expensive silver. He gathers that up, puts it in a bag, and off he goes. And the next morning is the, is the next scene that we see, and it is the bishop and his wife, and she's crying and lamenting the loss of the silver. And right in that moment, the police walk in, and they've got Valjean by the scruff of the neck, and they are bringing him in in caught red-handed. He's got the silver in his bag. Here he is. And as soon as you think that the hammer of justice is going to get dropped on this guy, the bishop does something unbelievable. And he said, I'm really angry with you, Valjean. I told you to take the candlesticks as well. And so he summons his wife to go get the very expensive solid silver candlesticks to send with him. And his wife is very confounded by that. The, The bishop's wife is. But even more confounded are the police in that moment, and they realize that, uh, that he means for him to go on his way. And so Valjean, standing there in chains, is turned loose and sent on his way, and the bishop looks him in the eye and gives Valjean a very powerful and important second chance. And what he gives him when he could have had vindication right there in that moment is unexpected mercy. And we all have needs. Some of them are very much felt on a continual basis. Some of them are subconscious. And I would just say to you that some of them are ones that we push away from and we don't want to face and we want to keep them at arm's length. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we go into God's Word together. I invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to John chapter 5, and we'll be in verses 2 through 9. If you don't have a copy of the Scriptures for yourself, grab the one in the seat back in front of you there. We'll be on page 890. And then in the Ridgewood Church app as well, uh, you can track along with that. You go to Media, Sermon Study Guide, and then click through uh, into today's date, and that's where we'll be. You can see where we are as we go through. Let me read these verses to us here in just a second, but we're tracking through a series called Learning Jesus, and you see uh, these graphics here, and we initially, as we go into the Gospel of John, are um, talking about what does it look like to take on Jesus' ways in learning Jesus, and we saw in the origins what are the origins of our understanding about who Christ is and our faith for those of us that are followers of Jesus. And now we've moved into, this is our third week, exploring seven signs that Jesus is who he says he is. And it's more than just evidence, but it's also him showing us his compassionate love and his mercy, and we're going to experience that today. So three weeks ago, as we entered into uh, the signs, we saw that Jesus' first miracle was turning the water into wine at the wedding in Cana, and then last week we saw him heal the official son And today is a powerful passage. Let me just jump in and read this to you and we'll get started. John 5, verse 2. It says, Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. 
In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. It's an amazing scene and a great picture for us. This is God's word to us today. And there's a lot for us to see here. And uh, since Keith already called us out as Baptist, I'm going super Baptist on you today with three points. And they all start with the same letter. So we're going to explore Christ's unexpected mercy in our life today in three ways. And first, we're going to discover the scene, and we'll talk a little bit more about what are we seeing as we encounter and, and parachute into this story. And then the next thing is the sickness. What are we dealing with along those lines? And then we'll get to take an even closer look at the Savior. And so that's where we're headed today. And just invite you to draw your attention to verses 2 through 4 as we take a look at what the scene is and my desire is that we could feel this beyond just a, a mental level and exploring this with our minds, but really begin to see and enter into the to story, into the scene at an emotional level as well, to experience all that God would have us grasp out of this passage. And so we know that this takes place in Jerusalem. And here's a map for you just to kind of get the lay of the land in Jerusalem around Christ's time there in the New Testament. And we see uh, that... They came through the Sheep Gate, and that's what's listed there. Maybe you can see it a little bit better up top. And then the Pool of Bethesda is here in the circled area. And about a year or so ago, a group of us got to go to Israel, and we, we went to this location, and it was an amazing time. And so we visited the um, Mount of Olives and then the Garden of Gethsemane and then made uh, a very valiant walk up what felt like a San Francisco-style hill to arrive at the Sheep Gate there. And so some people describe that now or call it the Lion's Gate, if you're a movie buff, you'd be familiar with that production company, Lionsgate. That's where they get their name. And there's lions that are carved in stone there. And so you enter in through that gate and turn to your left and you see the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount that's there. If you've seen the pictures of Jerusalem, that's what everybody wants to get in the center of the shot is that gold dome. And so that was right through the Sheep Gate to the left. It's very well guarded, by the way. As you continue to walk just a few more steps in and to the right, is uh, the Pool of Bethesda. And so I just want to show you a couple other pictures here. As we went in, um, we got to meet this guy. Nothing says reverence. We were in the Church of St. Anne. Nothing says reverence like a selfie. I think he was kind of like, seriously? Um, he was gracious, though. And they open this church that's right there in the courtyard. They open that a few hours each day to allow people to come in and sing. That church is known as the Echo Chamber. And it's famous for that. And the acoustics in there, even if you have an awful voice, it sounds amazing. And so when we entered in, there was some African brothers and sisters that were like full-on singing, just a cappella in there. And it just moved most of us to tears. It was unbelievable sound that was in there. And so they moved out of the way. And so we couldn't hold a candle to what they were doing. So we did the next best song that we could come up with, which was Neil Diamond's Sweet Caroline, you know. Bum, ba -dum. Not really. We sang the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And it was just an amazing moment to be in this place where this miracle 
had been experienced. And so they had built multiple churches over the centuries. It wasn't until the late 1800s where they somewhat rediscovered what did they actually have here, what took place here in the Pool of Bethesda. And so just want to draw your attention to a couple other pictures that we took while we were there just to give you a picture of the size of the place. And so it's very deep, um, and they have built a variety of things as they've now excavated. There's multiple layers that are there. And continuing on, you can just kind of see the expansiveness of the area, and they've installed stairs so you can kind of see this whole scene um, and lots of original archaeology that's there. A couple more here just as we came into the gate. This is what you're greeted with, and then this last one here, um, it has our passage that we're in here today, and it says, Jesus said to the lame man that had been ill for 38 years, rise up and take your pallet and walk. And so it's just an amazing experience to be there together. But I wanted you to see the size of that area because it's critical to our story. And what's given us this picture here of five colonnaded porches or five roofed colonnades, as it says, it speaks to how big the area was, which is important for us to understand how many people would have been around there. And so uh, modern day terms, it's a football field and a half long by about 50 yards wide. So just get a picture of how many people would have been spread out there. And it says in the New Testament, the word multitude is used for a large group. So many, many people around there putting their hope in being there and hoping to receive healing. I love how Jesus comes in and he pursues this man. It's good for us to feel that and consider that. And that he didn't come into Jerusalem looking for the religious leaders. He didn't seek out the high flyers of the day in terms of the financial elites or those that were political influencers, but he migrated towards and came straight to those that are in need. And it's really good for us to get a hold of that in what he's doing. And for him to be in the midst of a mass amount of invalids gives us a picture into who Christ is. And as we talk about learning Jesus in this series, it's not just like, hey, these are the facts about this guy Jesus, but it really is we want to take on his ways and we want to live like him. And I'm just struck in the way that he moved towards those people that are in need. And I, this week, was asking the Lord to give me opportunities to move towards people that are in need, and he made good on that for me a couple of times. But I just would ask you, in your own life, as you seek to learn Jesus in your own way, how would the Lord want you to move towards people in need this week? And I'm not trying to saddle you with guilt or, you know, thanks, Neil, now i got to carry a burden out of here. That's not what I mean. But what opportunities do you have to move towards people for learning his ways? This is how he lived it out. A few years ago, I was on a mission trip in uh, one of the busiest cities in Asia, and we had to get up early, 4 a.m., drag ourselves to the train station for a long day of travel. And as we came into the train station area, I was not at all ready for what we saw and what it was, was many, many people, several hundred people out in front of the train station just looking for the leftovers that thousands of people coming in and out of the train station every day could possibly give them. There was crutches, there was blind people, there was lots of wheelchairs, and there was lots of people begging. And that just so marked me for the rest of that trip and throughout the years I can still see the faces there, and that is the kind of picture at an emotional level, at, at a visceral need level that we see in this passage here today, that these people had great, great needs. The word Bethesda means house of mercy, and it's fitting for those that are looking for that very thing and looking for mercy, and especially given what Christ came to accomplish. That's the scene that we're experiencing 
And now we need to go deeper into the next thing, which is the sickness. And what we understand about this man is just a few details. We know that he was an invalid, and that word in the Greek in the original language just means um, a, a disability or a weakness caused by natural limitations. And so that's kind of the extent to which we understand. But we know that he was physically stuck and that he was in a hopeless situation. He was unable to move, and he found himself there day after day after day in that situation. He knew his need intimately. He didn't need the kindness of feedback from a friend to help him get in touch emotionally with his situation. He was very much reminded of that day after day. Every moment that he lived, he knew his situation. And maybe that's you today, and you'd say, you know what, Neil, I, I don't need any clarity from anybody else on the pain and the challenge that I have. It's very personal for me. I'm deeply connected to my need. And I just want to encourage you that the Lord knows you, and he sees you in that. And life brings a variety of different circumstances to us. And some of us in the room would say, you know what, I look over my life, and I would say that more or less I've had a really smooth experience and I was just meeting a couple months ago with an area pastor, and he's kind of wrapping up a 40-plus year ministry. He just retired here in December. And he, he said to me, and it was really striking, he said, you know what, I look back over this 40-plus years, and, and it's, God has been really kind. It has just felt like there hasn't been a whole lot of bumps, or, and it's just been smooth. And I don't know in that moment if he's just has a terrible memory or he's like a hyper-positive fella, but I was really moved by that. And I just was able to celebrate with him what God has done. And maybe that's your experience. You'd say, you know what, things have been going really, really well. But I know for a lot of other people in the room that that hasn't been your experience. You've been in this roller coaster of ups and downs. You've lost people in your life. You've got a struggling diagnosis that you're wrestling with. Whatever the circumstances are that you would say, I just feel kind of cascaded with problem and issue and hurdle after hurdle. So what do we do with that when that's our experience? Where do we go? The pool where the man was, was gathered, where he was gathered and others were, would consistently have stirrings in the water. So that's a big question in reading that passage, you know, what was the stirrings? And what was believed was that the stirrings that took place were the result of angels' wings. And so the held belief was that when the water got stirred, the first person in the water would receive healing. And that was what the man was banking on, and that's what we see in our passage. And there's a lot of perspective um, from a variety of different people on what that exactly means. But what we do know is that the water was consistently stirred. That's well documented on a regular basis, and people did receive healing there. But where the story shifts is where our focus needs to turn and draw our attention into Jesus. And a friend of ours recently shared that she had gone through a variety of really challenging circumstances over the last handful of years, and she said, I've moved from hoping for something in the sense that my circumstances need to get better, and I'm always hoping for the next thing to happen and hoping for better circumstances. She said, I moved from hoping in something to hoping in someone, and the Lord has set me free in that. And I just was bowled over with that kind of faith and the hope that she brought. And that's the opportunity for each one of us to experience that beyond our circumstances, there's a hope that's greater. And as we sang this morning, there's a trust that we have the opportunity to walk in. This man is very much confronted with his physical needs, but 
Theologians and scholars are very clear that this passage isn't just speaking about one man's physical ailments, but it's helping us to see more broadly the needs of humanity. And from a spiritual perspective, what is our spiritual condition and plight? If you imagine looking out over that scene of a multitude of those that are hurting and struggling physically, that that pales in comparison to the spiritual need of all humanity and where we are. That there's a marring and a fracturing and a brokenness to who we are as a result of sin. And I don't think there'd be anybody in the room that would say, Neil, I disagree. I don't think the world's broken. You're wrong. It's perfect. No one's going to stand up and say that because we look around and we see and experience brokenness on a continual basis. Romans 5 verse 12 helps us see that very clearly. It says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all have sinned. But sin is all over the place, and our spiritual condition that we're separated from God is very evident. We see it in the scriptures, and we experience the brokenness in our own life. I just wonder if you feel connected to the need that you have. And there's multiple ways that I think culturally we try to mask that need oftentimes. I just would want to draw to your attention to a couple. The first is that many times we try to drown it out. And maybe this is you. Maybe this is your approach or experience. And this speaks a lot of entertainment. It's more entertainment. It's more technology. You know, it's cranking up the radio in the car as soon as we get in so we're not confronted with the thoughts of where we are in our life and the things that we're wrestling with. Perhaps it's looking for the window into somebody else's life and social media so that we don't have to be so aware of the things that we need to deal with in our own life. Maybe it's binge-watching Netflix or Amazon Prime. We're looking for escape routes to get away from what it is that we're experiencing from the need. We try to mask it by drowning things out. For others, perhaps, it is that we try to crowd things out. Similar approach, but in a different way, that we go headlong into achievement and into better to-do lists. We pursue the next best thing. We're adding more to our calendar. We're always trying to do more. If I can just get one more cold call, if I can just have one more networking meeting, if I can take one more international trip to add more achievement to myself, if I can be at a director level in this company, and then that happens and we go, if I could just be a VP, then, then I'll have it all figured out. And many times we try with productivity. There's nothing wrong with achievement in that sense, but are you crowding out the voice of the Lord in your life? Are you not understanding the needs that you have? And could you be crowding out people in your life as well along the way? So we do those things to try to mask when the real opportunity and simply what this man was confronted with at the pool was just to acknowledge and embrace Jesus, that he came there for him. And that he would see his need and understand that in that moment of need, it's simultaneously met in the person of Jesus. What an awesome opportunity. And when Christ came to begin his earthly ministry, we understand that he came down into Galilee. And this is what he said in Mark 1.15. He said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. So he's saying, acknowledge and embrace Christ. And that's the opportunity that's in front of us as Jesus comes to us. And that's the third thing as we move towards closing. The last point is the Savior. And he comes straight down in pursuance of this guy. And he asks him a powerful question. He said, do you want to be healed? And at first look, 
It's kind of like, Jesus, that's the most ridiculous question you could ever ask. What are you saying? Do I want to be healed? It's like for a guy that had been out in the desert all day, red-faced, sweating, hey, would you want a glass of cold water, perhaps? Or maybe if you're a diehard Twins fan, it's like Joe Maurer would love to sit behind home plate with you for opening day. Would you want to come do that, free food, the whole thing? Would you want to come sit with him? Or with our three girls, I asked them separately because I didn't want them to influence each other. Just was curious, if you could go to any concert right now, who would you go see? And every one of them said, Sean Mendes. And I'm just like, Lord, help me with this. What's happening to my life? This question, though, do you want to be healed, it seems ridiculous on first reading, just in a casual way. Why would he ask that? But the man's response is just as interesting as he begins to give reasons why it hasn't happened for him yet, why he hasn't received healing yet. And he's pointing to the circumstances and the hope that he has in the pool. And he believes that the pool is going to be his pathway. He's anchoring to worldly wisdom above everything else. Historians are really clear on the origins of those pools there at Bethesda, that they were uh, what are called mikvahs, which are deep cleansing pools for religious purposes and other purposes. And so you would go down these steps and dunk yourself all the way under to receive cleansing. And that's the cleansing that he thought he was going to get. And I love how Jesus came to him and said, brother, I'll do you one better. Get up, take your bed, and walk. And he did just that in moving away. It's so striking to me, too, that in other accounts, and we'll see them as we continue to go through the signs together, that in other accounts, Jesus says, it's your faith. Your faith has made you well. And he doesn't say that in this one. Some variant of that is what Christ said multiple times. But he doesn't say that to him here, that he gives him what is truly unexpected mercy because he comes straight to him into his context and he heals him straight away. And I really want you to hear this for yourself. It's important that every one of us get a hold of this. The old way that the man knew was first come, first serve. Go get it in your own strength. You can do it on your own. And that's not how it is with our Savior. He's got a better way for us. Many people struggle over whether healings are real, whether they've taken place or not. And we're going to see as we go through our series more accounts of what's taken place And I just would ask you, do you have a personal category for that? Or have you let outside influences weigh in more and give you a different perspective than what the scriptures would say? Perhaps it's science, Neil, or logic, or reality, or maybe you're like, this is just weird, and I've seen a lot of TV preachers that say they've healed thousands of people, and I just kind of want to leave that over there, and I'm going to be over here. Whatever it is, I just would ask you, Would you lean in to consider the truth of what the scriptures are showing us? And it's not like these people that this man drank the goofy juice and then went about talking about how Christ healed him. That's not what's taking place. And if you didn't hear Pastor Paul's message last week, I would encourage you to go get that on the podcast. But he said, and this is so true, Jesus is scary powerful. You believe that. You believe that he can do amazing things like this. One scholar summed up, a long report on the nature of healing, and he says, from Genesis to Revelation, from the early church to modern day, the record demonstrates that physical healing by divine intervention has been the experience of many of God's people. Do you believe in the healing power of God? 
And just as personal as this man getting healed is what about the multitude there that didn't get healing that day? And how do we wrestle through those kinds of things? Because many people have experienced the same thing that the man that picked up his bed and walked out. They've experienced full healing. What about those of us that are still waiting for it? What do we do with that? And it's a very personal thing. And we're going to walk through covering more of these questions as we see more of what Christ did in these signs as we go through the Gospel of John. But I would encourage you to not sweep your questions under the rug. But I can't come to you with any better certainty than anybody else and put my finger and go, this is exactly why. But there's two questions that I know I've wrestled with and I hear from a lot of people that have come to talk with me, and that is, why is this happening to me? And we really fixate on the why. And then the other one that you might find yourself dealing with is, what is the Lord, what's the point of what God is trying to do to me or in me? The opportunity for us, regardless of what the momentary answer to the question is, is to lean in and put our hope in God. And I believe that restoration and refreshment for our souls can come when we begin to lean into God in hope, in Him, over our circumstances. And a few years ago, somebody shared this passage with me, and I just would want to encourage you with it today. It's Romans 5, 2 through 5. It says, through him we've also obtained access to faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame. What an awesome thing to trust in. Hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I'm really, really glad that it doesn't stop at producing character. And it's really important that we grab a hold of that. Because God is forming and fashioning our character through suffering and circumstances. But he doesn't leave us there because our hope then ends and rests on the person of Jesus Christ. And so with what you're going through and the challenges that you've experienced, know that you're being brought closer to God. And that is the ultimate reward for us, to experience that, that he's bringing us closer to himself. And in other translations of that verse 5, where it says, hope does not put us to shame, in some translations it says, hope does not disappoint So regardless of where you are right now, whether you've received healing in this age or you're looking to the age to come to receive it, know that hope does not disappoint and that we all have experienced Christ's unexpected and glorious mercy. I just encourage you to bow your heads and let's just consider what it is that the Lord's saying to us as we close. And you might be saying, Neil, these times are awkward when it's, when it's silent. Why do we do this? And I just would encourage you to receive what it is that God would be saying and just say, Lord, would you speak to me? So let's just sit quiet and receive from him for just a moment.
Lord, here we stand, here we sit before you. And you are our hope. Help us to receive all that you have for us today. And I pray, Lord, you'd expand our faith as we see that you heal in a moment's notice. And you've done that for many. We thank you for your healing power. And we also know that you've altered our eternity. For those that are in Christ, you've made a way for us to experience what 1 Peter 3.18 shows us that Christ suffered once for sinners in order that you might bring us to fullness and bring us to God and that God is the reward. So we know that you're producing a hope in us that rests in God, that we trust in your sufficiency and all that you are for us. And we confess our need for you And we want to gratefully receive your work in our life. And we pray, Lord, that you would heal those that need it. And we ask for that boldly. And regardless of the answer, Lord, we know you're producing a hope that won't disappoint. So would you spark great encouragement in us today. In Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. For more faith-based resources or information about Ridgewood Church, visit us at myrwc.org.